And if you have your Bibles available and would like to follow along, we're going to be um, taking a reading today from the book of 1 Kings. The book of 1 Kings, chapter 17, which, if you have a New American Slimline version of the Bible, is page number 340. I don't know if that will help anybody, but there you go. But uh, we're going to be uh, reading a story today that... uh, illustrates some uh, some beautiful truths about God and how it is that we as his uh, children relate to him. It's probably not too often that we've heard the story of the widow of Zeraphim, but uh, there's much that we can learn from her and um, uh, the word of God today. In chapter 17, verse 1, it says this, Now Elijah the Tishbite who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. This is the prophet Elijah speaking at the time of King Ahab. King Ahab was the seventh of the northern kings, and if you ever look at a chronological list of the kings in the Bibles, you'll come to see where it says good, good, bad, bad. And then when you get to a guy named Ahab, it says wicked. Ahab actually put to death the prophets of God, torn down the altars in the area, and he married a lady named Jezebel. And Jezebel has within her name the name Baal, which is a foreign false god. And so she was uh, not of Jewish descent and ended up taking him away from a relationship with God. And it was in this context that the prophet Elijah begins to to come up and, and share forth the word of God. The name Elijah by itself literally means God is the Lord. And so just by his very name, he stood against what it was that Ahab and Jezebel had been doing in the land to take people away from God's word. And back in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God had made promises to the nation of Israel. He said that I'm going to prepare for you a land where you didn't have to, as he put it, use your foot to water your crops. When they were in Egypt, uh, Egypt was a place that didn't get rainfall, and so you would have to irrigate the land. And so God said, I'm going to take you to a place where my blessings will fall on you in season, and so long as you honor my word, you will be blessed in this place in which you live. And we come to see where nationally and politically and socially the nation had wandered away from God's word. And as Elijah comes forth as a prophet, he gives forth this rebuke against the nation of Israel. And God commands him to do something after he speaks to Ahab. For in verse 2 it says this, The word of the Lord came to him saying, Go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherioth, which is on the east of the Jordan. It shall be that you will drink of the brook as I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. And he went and lived by the brook Cherioth, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he would drink from the brook. It happened after a little while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. God is going to develop this prophet. 
I don't know about you, but as I look at some of the political landscape that we ourselves face here in this nation, there's times I feel like this prophet and think, boy, I wonder how much land is going for in Canada. You know, just to, just to be able to go to a place in which, you know, you didn't have to have the concerns. And God takes the prophet off into the wilderness, and there he's going to teach him how to trust and God gives a natural provision through the uh, brook, meaning that God provides for all of His needs, no matter where it is that God would take them. Even though this is a time of political, moral, theological disaster, God still provides for His children. The same covenantal faithfulness that was present in the book of Exodus where God led His people and provided them manna in the morning and quail in the evening is the same faithful love that God shows to the one who's willing to follow after His Word. You'll notice that it says that He commanded the ravens. This shows the power that God has over all of nature. A raven is an interesting bird. It's not like a quail that simply comes and in itself gives a meal. A raven's a scavenger, meaning that God had to supernaturally work through His nature, not only to provide the natural things that Elijah needed, but the supernatural things that he needed. And God will not simply allow His people to go without God provides, and He'll do so in amazing ways. Not only naturally in how He provided, supernaturally, but we're also going to see in the next verse that God is going to provide in a miraculous way. As the end of that verse 7 says, things begin to get even more bleak in the nation of Israel, but as things got worse, God's grace was shown even more. And His goodness was revealed. And we'll see His grace shown in the next verse when God continues to use the circumstances that Elijah faced to make His name great. It says this, Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow to provide for you. We come to see where God will command a widow to provide for him. God will meet his needs. Not only is God able to command a raven, but he's also able to command a human. We can work together through the person of God for the purpose of edifying and building one another up, no matter how difficult that times may be in the world in which we live here today. Make no mistake about it, when God says, I have commanded, and I have commanded, He shows His power over people, He shows His power over nature, He shows His power over everything in that. And the key aspect of this text as we go through it is to show that everything that happens, no matter what the circumstances may be, whether good reflecting God's grace in an amazing way or bad as we're going to see reflecting a horrible situation that this widow finds herself in, God is directing everything and He is in control. We're going to see where this widow here in the next couple verses actually doesn't want to help out and is somewhat at a place to where she's adversarial towards being a blessing to this prophet Elijah. But God works within her 
to be able to give us an excellent illustration of grace and to know God's truth. It says here in the next verse, so he arose and went to Zarephath, meaning Elijah didn't know what was ahead of him, but he knew that God was in control. And so he was going to this place. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please give me a little water in a jar that I may drink. Do you remember another story in the Bible in which a Jewish leader went to a Gentile woman at a well and asked for a drink of water? Anybody know it? If so, I'll buy you lunch at a steakhouse in St. Joe. Anybody want to guess? That's right, Moses and Zipporah back in the book of Exodus. We come to see where this story of Moses going forth, he meets his wife at a well. Later on, we see where the first bride of Christ, the one who's brought into the church, both of them being Gentiles, is the woman in John chapter 4. This is a common theme throughout the Bible in which Jewish leaders come and they meet Gentile women at wells and the women provide for them in their moment of need. And it's an excellent picture, as it were, of the love of God and how that it works through everyone. Through everyone, God was able to use Zifra, who was not of the Jewish faith or family. God was able to use the woman at the well in the book of John chapter 4 to give us an excellent example of how it is that we're meant to follow Christ by faith and to serve Him. We come to see this lady, as we're about to see, be an excellent example of faith. And in none of those cases do we come to see where the favor of God is given to anybody based upon their lineage, based upon who they are, but rather by His sovereign good will to love everybody. And as we continue on, after she gives him a drink, it says this, As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. He asked for even more than the water, but see her response in verse 12. But she said, As the Lord your God lives. So she recognizes that he is a Jew. And by saying the Lord your God, she acknowledges the fact that she is a Gentile and she does not share the same relationship with God that he does. Yet God's grace is still going to be extended. For as it says, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. She's at the end of her rope. She's at a place of desperation. She's at a place where she has nothing more to turn to. And this prophet of God comes to her and asks for the very little bit of life that she has left. In order for her to listen and to give with this prophet what it is that he wanted, she will die. She only has one meal left. This is a very big request for him to put upon her. What he's doing is say, I need everything that you have and everything that you are, and I need it because God desires it of you. Wouldn't that cause you a little bit of stress and a little bit of tribulation in your life to know that you were at the end of your rope and at that place? To be honest with you though, many of our testimonies here today are the same way. We ran out of directions that we could go, of people that we could ask for help. And at the very end of our rope, we called unto God and we found out that He is faithful. 
In the same way, this lady is left with nowhere else to turn other than being obedient to God. And look what the prophet says to her in the next verse. He gives her the most often repeated command in all of Scripture. It appears more than 365 times in which he said this, Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Meaning, though it may require your life, serving God is greater than any amount of comfort or security that this world can provide. And he continues on, I have no bread, or no, Elijah said, do not fear, go, do as you have said, and make me a little bread cake at first, and bring it out to me, and afterward, you may make one for yourself and your son. He says, God will provide. You may not have much, but if you give of me the first of what you do have, God will not let you down. If you give him of your best, He will not leave you be. To give Him of your life is the safest investment that you can make. And He asked her to do it by faith. He doesn't promise her where it is that this material is going to come, where she herself is going to be able to eat. She asked him to her, he asked her to simply be obedient to God's word and let the results take care of themselves. And we come to see where God doesn't let her down in the next verse, but rather God offers up a promise. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth, meaning that you can't outgive our amazing God. If you're willing to give your life, He has the promise of eternal life that is assured for each and every single one of us. And as we take that step by faith to put our trust in Him, He will provide because He is able. He calls her to be honest to the Word of the Lord. And she needs to honor God's Word even above her own life, which interestingly enough is true for us to do today. We have to walk by faith and to ultimately save your life, what must you do? Lose it. Give it away back to God and His Word will not return void. He gives her the promise that He will provide. And in the next verse it says this, So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord which He spoke through Elijah. It was according to God's word that she was sustained during this famine in which there was no hope, but every day God provided. You know, I kind of think of what her prayer might have been during this time. And it wasn't simply that she trusted in God once and everything just seemed to take place. This was a day-by-day trust. As this drought stretched on for, I believe it was three years, and probably every day her prayer was, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And you know what happened? God didn't let her down because God is worthy of our trust. And the same God who was alive in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17 is the same God who provides for us today. 
What an amazing story of God's grace shown to those who are willing to be faithful to His Word in the midst of a day in which it seems sometimes like evil is winning. What a story of God's grace. You know, if I was writing on God's grace, I would have probably ended the story right there at 17. Wouldn't it have been nice to have the next verse and Elijah went on to the next town and the widow lived prosperous for the rest of her life? Unfortunately, the story takes a different turn from this point. And it's from this point that we're going to see some truths about God and how it is that He operates in His relationship with us that will help us through moments in which we have dark times, in which we have questions, in which we have difficulty come in. Because God's grace is not only sufficient in moments of our prosperity, it's also sufficient in moments in which we hurt, in moments in which we question. In the next verse it says this, Now it came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick. And his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. This son who had been provided for for the last years through the famine ultimately dies when the rains return. I don't know about you, but that's not the direction that when I read this story for the first time, I thought it would go. But you know what? If you turn on your TV or you hear pastors in America today, Oftentimes, they'll tell you that first part of the story and won't tell you the last. They'll tell you that simply by trusting in God, everything is going to go the way that you expect it to. You're going to have good health, you're going to have good wealth, and you're always going to be prosperous. But friends, for all of us sitting here today, can probably look at our reality and know that's not the world we live in. There are times in which we can trust God and do everything right and work according to His grace and we still have difficulties that come much as this lady did. I can't imagine any scenario in this world worse than losing a child, let alone to be done for someone who has shown such grace and such faithfulness through her life. Let me give you a very important truth about God. God is not always pleased with the things that take place in our life, particularly when we experience death, when we experience difficulty, but He's never perplexed. There's no time in which God looks and He said, how did that happen? There's nothing that falls outside of His control. There's no time in which a bad medical report is read and God said, how did that get there? I had such good plans for that person. God orchestrates everything according to His will. And just by simply trusting in Him and living lives that we may think is righteous doesn't exempt us from the difficulties that this life can bring. But we're going to see a very true part about God in the last part of this verse that though He may not exempt us from the pain that this life can bring, He is always faithful to walk through it with us. And we need to have the attitude just like Job, who in the Old Testament lost everything that he had from his family to his house to that, but he still said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the Lord. God is still worthy to be praised in the midst of difficulty. And it says this, So she said to Elijah, 
What do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and put my son to death. The words she used are literally the same words that the demons say to Jesus in the New Testament, in which they say, What to me and thee? Meaning, we don't have anything to do with one another. Her response in the midst of her trial is not to trust God. It's to turn away from the Word of God. It's to have bitterness and ask the question, God, how can you allow this to happen in my life? I mentioned Job, who at the onset of his book experiences such difficulty and his initial response is to say, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Later on, when he's meeting with his friends, his friends are trying to give reasons why it is that all these difficult things, and they're looking at his life saying, what sin have you done to deserve this? You know what Job's response is? He says, what sin haven't I done to reserve this? Job thinks he's too righteous to experience the difficulty. His friends think he's done something wrong to experience it. Neither one of them get it right. At the end, Job has to offer up sacrifices, not only for himself, but also for his friends. Why is that? Because God works sovereignly in the lives of his children. He directs our paths as he pleases. And we're not meant to get bitter at God and shake our fists. We're meant to trust in him through the difficult times. You know, when Job begins to ask questions for God, you know what God's response is? God doesn't give him answers. God responds with 70 more questions. Job asked him, how can you allow this to happen? And God says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? He says, how can you explain why it is that an ostrich mother leaves her son? Anybody? Where did the snow originate from? Where the sleet God says, you're a human and I'm God. I'm in the heavens and you are on earth. And I will direct things in a way that is good for you. But that goodness is revealed in my time. And make no mistake about it, friends. God is hardly ever on time, but God is never late. We may want to put him on our watch, but he works above us. And we're meant to simply trust in who He is. One of the great questions that God asked Job, by the way, I find this to be funny. He says, you know where the Leviathan comes from? Which was uh, an animal that used to swim in the sea. They likened it to a crocodile because it says that it has reptile scales. He says, why don't you go and wrestle that Leviathan and tell me how the outcome comes? Trust me, you won't do it again. (laughs) And what God is saying there is my strength My might, my creation is bigger than us as humans and we're meant to trust in His goodness. Don't get angry at God and shake your fist and walk away, friends. Trials are opportunities for us to draw closer to Him and He may not always be pleased with the difficulties that we face in life, but He's never perplexed and He knows where you're at. And he knows who you are. I want to share with you something in regard to my belief on that. The worst thing that I can imagine that would ever befall me as a person would probably be my wife and my kids being taken from me. And if the scenario was that they were driving one night 
and their car and a drunk driver crossed the line and that situation were to befall me, it would break my heart. But what I don't want if something like that should happen is for people to come to me with answers and solutions as to how it is that it was simply a mistake, that it was simply just a bad situation, that that guy made bad decisions. And the reason is is that I can't trust that that drunk driver was sovereign. I have to believe that God allowed that into my life and the purpose for that is to draw me closer to Him in the midst of the storm. Because in reality, if that drunk driver was sovereign, I've got 10 billion idiots in the world and one God. And they're always going to win. But when we trust in God, He has the ability to take that which the locusts have ate away and make it new again. And difficult things are opportunities for us to draw closer to Him. Not to have questions but to trust in His goodness and whatever it is that we may face. I know that for many of the difficult things I've experienced in my life, I wouldn't want to go through them again. But when I've been through them, I wouldn't trade them for the world because they've made me stronger and they've helped me to experience God's grace and kindness in new ways. As we continue on in this text, It continues to be unwrapped what had taken place. He said to her, Give me your son. Then he took him from the bosom and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. Do you know another place in the Bible where life comes from the upper room? Where new life is given? It's the picture of what it is that we do at communion. Where we who were once dead in our sins and transgressions are made alive in Christ Jesus to live for Him. And Christ inaugurated this on that final night of the Last Supper in the upper room. I don't think it's a coincidence that that which is taken up into the upper room in this story is that of death. But what comes from it is life. And it comes in a miraculous way. For as it says, He called to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, You also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die. God doesn't the prophet doesn't attribute this difficulty to just the situation. He attributes it knowing that God has directed this in a way that is for His glory and our good. Even though it may be painful, He is sovereign. And as we continue on, it says, Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray you let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him and he revived. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. It wasn't the prosperity and the good times and God providing from that jar when it seemed empty that led her to the confession that the Lord is true. It was the difficult times and seeing life brought from that which is dead to where her final message of faith is that I now see that the Lord is true. 
those hard situations were the things that were used to draw her closer to a relationship with the living God. And there may be times when He allows hurt and difficulty into our lives. And the purpose is not simply that we would suffer. It's for us to draw closer to Him. He's in control when things go good. He's in control when things go bad. When we're prosperous, He's worthy to be praised. When we're in the difficulties of life, He's still worthy to be praised. The key part of this verse is that final verse 24. God wasn't just concerned about her physical life and providing. He was more concerned with her spiritual life. And the fact that the conclusion of her story ended with a reality and acceptance of God's Word and God's way and believing it in all it was that she had. God was pleased to save her physically and to save her son, but God wanted to go deeper to her heart and to her soul. And so friends, when you hear the gospel that America holds on to so closely, that through a relationship with God you will experience nothing but health, wealth, prosperity, and goodness for the rest of your life, don't believe it. Our trust is in the living God who takes that which is dead and brings it back to life. I want to conclude with this the lessons that we can learn from this story. Sometimes as followers of God, we may be placed in situations where we have nothing else to turn to but Him. Many of your testimonies will be like that. And friends, when you're put in a place where there's nowhere else to turn but Him, only then will you find that He is able and He is sufficient. My encouragement for you is to put your trust in Him when things are good and the moment of prosperity that we have. And make no mistake, when things are difficult, we are more than overcomers through Christ Jesus. Sometimes we may think that we're in control, but our place of control is nothing but an illusion. These moments in which difficult times are meant to be orchestrated to draw us closer to Him. This text teaches us that God's love extends to all people. It was given to a Gentile widow. It was given to Elijah. And the moment that Israel repented and returned to God, He opened up the floodgates of His blessing upon them. God loves each and every single one of His children. And He's looking to restore us through His Son, Jesus Christ. The next thing that we learn from this text, God's Word needs to be trusted completely, even more than our lives, even if it calls for our lives. It's worthy of our trust. The next thing, God wants more than our physical lives to be well. He wants our hearts. He wants us to be willing to take up our cross and follow after Him. 
the final thing that I want you to know is that God can allow trials into our lives for a purpose of getting our devotion. It may seem absurd at the time, but make no mistake about it, our God is not of this earth. He is above our comprehension and the way in which He works. Though it may seem difficult to understand at the time, He works all things for the purpose of His glory according to His will, which is for our good. And we're not meant to shake our fist and get angry. We're not meant to ask questions that we won't get answers for. We're meant to trust in Him and Him alone because when you do, you will find out that He is able and He is sufficient. My final words to you are this. God's love, sufficiency, Ableness come to us in one way, and it's through the cross. It's not what you can bring to God. It's what God has done for you. And it's not about us earning His favor. It's about the fact that His wrath and His favor was appeased when Jesus Christ hung upon the cross. And in that message alone is salvation to be found. And we can try by all the strength of ourselves, by everything else, to try to earn God's favor. Friends, make no mistake about it. You have fallen short of His glory and are in desperate need as I am of the cross. And by no other name is men to be saved. And it's upon that message that God will build His church. And it's upon that message that we can have hope for the future that we can have hope for eternity, that we can be together as brothers and sisters and move forward knowing that God's love transcends all that we can understand upon this earth and it's revealed to us through the cross of Jesus. My hope is that all of us here today have realized that truth and that reality in our lives for it can help us to overcome anything. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for who You are. We thank You that You have used examples in Your Word of of people like this widow who, when fallen with difficult times, may have gotten angry and and, uh, shook their fist and and uh, at you, but came to realize that your will and your way are for our good and for your glory, and in that we can celebrate. We're thankful for the examples of our faith, men and women who were not perfect, but Lord, that you, by your abundant grace and your love, poured out your mercy on and were able to use in mighty ways. And Lord, I just pray that uh, you might, by the power of your Spirit, can give us conviction of our great need for you and the great love that you have for each and every single one of us. Father, we do love you and we thank you for who you are. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.